Well, the Pallady brothers in 2009 were living uh, outside, just outside a cave in Budapest. Uh, they had had a very difficult relationship with their mother. They had severed ties with her. And since that had happened, they had been living in poverty in this cave. And they stole scraps of metal to get by in Budapest. One day in 2009, a German charity worker found them. She was looking for them and let them know that their grandmother had died. And they were the next of kin. They had vaguely known that their mother had come from wealth, but they didn't know how much. But the German charity worker informed these two brothers, young brothers, that they were now the inheritors of five billion dollars. Not million, five billion dollars. And this is what they said in response, one of them says. Well, if this all works out, it certainly makes up for the life we've had until now. All we've really had is each other. No women would ever look at us, especially that we lived in a cave. But with money, maybe we can finally find one. <laughs> what if you found out that you came from that kind of inheritance? Would you say, oh man, the cave life is great. I'm just going to stay right where I am. Or would you take that inheritance? Today we're going to read about another charity worker. Just east of Budapest. Telling a part of a great inheritance. What is this good news that we talk about on Easter Sunday? Well, the same inheritance message is coming to us. This Easter message. How will you respond? If you're going to get any major point from this message, here it is. So listen to this. The inheritance message is ours. The good news of salvation has come to set us free. Do not miss out. Let's look, shall we? Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 16. I'll start with that, and we'll take it in parts this morning. Now Paul and his companion set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, they went in the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome if you're just joining us. I know many of you are just joining us for the first time. We're in a book called Acts. And Acts is an historical book. A book that tells about the first 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's written by a physician named Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And this physician wrote this book for a purpose. To show the validity 
of the message of Jesus' death and resurrection. And he gives eyewitness accounts of what happened. And he wants to let his friend know that this account that he has heard is true. And he should follow after Christ. And here we are, now 15 years after the resurrection. And the message has spread as Christ said it would. From Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria outside of Jerusalem. And now to the ends of the, wor- uh, the, ends of the earth. Specifically now here in the Roman world. And here are these two Christians, Paul and Barnabas, that have been traveling, been sent from a church in Judea to go spread this good news to places in the Roman world. At first, they went to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, and that is where Barnabas is from. And they talked about the gospel, and many believed throughout Cyprus. Then they sailed to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, in a region called Galatia, the very region that Paul writes his first letter, the letter to the Galatians, because they started churches in this region. And this, like Barnabas was from Cyprus, it makes sense then they went to here Asia Minor, to the hill country in central Turkey, because this is where Paul is from. Now, if you understand, a few hundred years earlier, there was a diaspora, meaning the Jews, many of them left Jerusalem and Israel to go to places in the Roman world, and they settled in some of these towns in what is modern-day Turkey. And here it is a few hundred years later. So there were these Jewish communities within these towns. And of course, these Jewish communities had their synagogues, their places of worship. Much like we do today, that's what they were doing there. And that's what's described here in the beginning of Acts 13. There were the readings. They would read the law. and They would read the prophets that many times we do here at church. We read from the scriptures, which is the law and the prophets. And then what they do after the reading of those specific texts in the scriptures, they expound on it. They talk on it. Not just talking about what it means, but actually how it applies to how we live life in our behavior. Similar to what we do today. It's almost like we borrowed from the Bible and what we do at a church service. That's what, why we do it. So here's what happened. The scripture's been read. And you can imagine maybe the head of the synagogue, the officials, are scanning the audience. And they see that there's two visitors that are there. Paul and Barnabas. Sometimes we forget that Paul was a rabbi, a leader in the synagogue. And maybe he had some kind of apparel that he wore that triggered that here is a teacher. And here's what happens. They say, Paul, why don't you come up and expound on the scripture? I'm going to ask someone to do that today. Okay, I'm going to call on a guest. Don't worry. Some people are like, I'm scared to death. Do not ask me to come forward. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. That's what happened. Paul came forward. He was probably more than willing to do that. And then, what does it say? He stood up and motioning with his hands. That's the biblical evidence for me to be able to use my hand motions, right? (laughs) Motioning with his hands, he said. Well, here's the thing. That um, these people are about to hear their own history. 
Paul, this message, is going to tell them that their history has significance to them in their inheritance now. And they need to listen. So let's hear what Paul says. I'm just going to take verses 16 all the way to 25. Let's look together and see what he says. Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So here Paul is now expounding on the scripture that was read. It was probably coming from Deuteronomy and 1 Samuel. And Paul is reminding these people of their history. Remember, God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. He bore with them even when they sinned in the wilderness, providing manna for them. He took out their enemies in Israel and gave them a land. They asked for a king. He gave them one. It was a bad king. He removed that king. He raised up a new good king, David. And then through David, he said, would come from his line a savior who would be Jesus, which means salvation. And here this Jesus has come. This John, John the Baptist, who probably many in the Roman world had heard about because he was so famous. He said that this Jesus was even greater than him. He was so great that he couldn't even tie his sandals. Now the rule back then was even a servant, even a slave could not it was below them to tie someone's sandals. And John is saying, Jesus is so great, I can't even tie his sandals. What is the purpose of retelling this story that they already know? It's a story they are very, very familiar with. I think it's very interesting the way that Paul tells the story. He uses God as the subject throughout this. And the action verbs that are used are God's actions. He chose, he led, he bore with, he destroyed, he raised up. Think of it. These people are separated from Jerusalem. They've been there for a few hundred years. Maybe they just sit on this. It just becomes rote. We do what we want. But does God still work for our salvation? Paul wanted to show them 
that God is still doing it. God is still working. His plan of salvation has come to fruition. And it now involves you. Rather than thinking, I have to take action myself. The Roman world is just working. Jerusalem, we had to leave it. No, he's saying God is on the move. And he has come. And he is working. You know, Easter can be a very kind of mark in the year that you just go to church on Easter. That you just hear this story retold. Maybe your parents are glad you're here today, right? You're in a community that's surrounded by churches, by crosses. You're in, quote-unquote, Christian society. I'm wondering if we need to reframe Easter a little bit rather than this rote message. That God has worked, is working, and is still working for the salvation of humanity. Maybe some of us forget that. Like the Israelites might have been being separated hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. But here Paul is saying your history is a story of God's provision. And many times you forget that. My wife often reminds me, Aaron does, that our very existence is amazing. That everything aligned in the right way for you to be born. My parents like to remind me of this, right? Our parents sometimes, maybe they share stories of how they met. My parents do that often with me. And sometimes I forget how amazing it is that I exist by this history. The day my mother got engaged, her fiancé that day died in a car accident. After that, she then met my dad. Her maiden name was Applegate. And they always tell this story, my dad loves apples. She was the nurse on his floor where he was a physician. And he asked her, Miss Applegate, do you know how to make apple pies? <laughs> and she said, Dr. Breed, how about I make you one? And that's kind of their dating story, right? Yeah, it's cute, right? And they remind me of this. My brother and sister are much older than me, and they remind me that I'm a surprise. And my parents say, you know, it happened on Valentine's Day. I say, no, too much, too much. Don't tell me that story. The thing is, we need to be reminded that our existence, our history, is not by chance. There is a God of the universe that made you and created you. And has you in this place, at this moment, for a reason and for a purpose. Just the beauty of the history of the church. That the gospel went to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. We see how it happens here in Acts. 
And then it went to the Roman world and changed the Roman world. The Romans used to call many of our ancestors, if you grew up in Germany, barbarians. And you see that missionaries went to you, the barbarians. My ancestry is from Britannia, where there were many warring tribes that used to kill each other. And it was bishops from Rome that went to Britain to share the gospel to Great Britain. Have we thought about the history of where we are now in God's provision? Many times we forget and the message has grown stale, not remembering God's provision. Instead, we live in a culture that elevates stardom, doing it ourselves, what we can prove, what we can make of ourselves. I don't think it's a coincidence that it uses John the Baptist in the story, the star of the age, right, who people talked about. And even he said, it's not about me. It's about what God has done. And God has provided his son to come that I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. The one that people thought was amazing said that about Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to retell this story of the resurrection. Something that is so routine that parking lots are full throughout America. More people are here today because that's what you do on Easter. What is the heart of this Easter message? Paul's going to share it right now. So here it is. If you've ever wondered, what is this Christianity all about? What is this Easter message all about? Paul's going to share it to these people. Now he's going to share it to you. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, Fulfilled them, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Here is the heart of the gospel message, the Easter message. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the descendant of King David, has come. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. 
And on the third day, he rose again. Some of you might be familiar with that. You maybe had to memorize that over and over again, right? The Apostles' Creed. Something that just becomes rote. But here Paul is saying, it's true. It happened. Paul is telling these people, 15 years ago, Christ rose from the dead. There are witnesses of this happening. He came to me. And he says, this is what the scriptures fulfilled. And he talks about how it's fulfilled in Psalms. And the prophets, they speak to it. And here's the crazy thing. You hear it every Sabbath. But even though people heard it every Sabbath, they still do not understand the fulfillment. And you know what the irony is? The very scriptures that they read and talk about show what Christ had to do. The very sense of he came down from the tree. The scriptures prophesy that that's what would happen to the Messiah. He would die upon a tree. And there are many and many and many prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Christ. And here now, Paul and Barnabas talking to the same town of people that were in Jerusalem, is trying to tell them, believe. Will you believe or deny like others? Will you believe and see that it fits our history, or will you be distracted? You know, something I hear a lot more often in our age from people an argument against Christianity is this. I just don't know. It's hard to know. And if you don't know and it's ambiguous, you don't know about the afterlife, you don't know about what religion is true and which one is, you live in this pluralist world with many, many different religions, you just don't know about eternal existence, it's just too big for me. I, I just, I can't fall on anything. It's better to just live what's before me. I understand that kind of thinking in our age. An age that's very, very polarized, where people are very passionate and they act like they know everything. I'm not going to get in that fray. I'm not going to be crazy like those people. I'm just kind of going to step back, kind of transcend it all, live like I can, the best I can. I'm not going to get involved with these type of people. I find that a common refrain from many, what I'm going to say, evangelical kids that grew up in the church. That they're frustrated and angry at the church and they just decided, forget it. I'm just going to stay out of it. Here's the thing. Paul is putting it to us. He's putting it to the people in Antioch. What are you going to do with this evidence? What are you going to do to what is promised to you?
Someone that has conquered death and rose from the dead and people have seen it. And it is God himself that says you too can participate in that inheritance. The question is put to you that ambiguity doesn't really make sense. Imagine with me, right? You're at Houdini Plaza, right? It's one of those Thursday night concerts, right, that they do in the spring, in the summer, right? A lot of people are there, and the mayor comes, right? I'm forgetting the mayor's name. I'm sorry. I'm really bad Appletonian. The mayor comes, and he says, I've got a message. I've got a message for Appleton. And they, they say, okay, okay, the mayor's got a message. And he comes up and speaks at the mic. And he says this. He says, one of Harry Houdini's greatest magic tricks has been found out. I'm making this story up. He hid hundreds and hundreds of bars of gold. And he didn't tell anywhere, anyone where it was, and then he died. But it has been found. And also what it's found is his will, that he would give the bars of gold and money to the people of Appleton where he grew up. All we have to do is claim the inheritance. Well, there you are. And you're looking around and people say to each other, are we sure that Harry Houdini's from Appleton? Wait, you're in Houdini Plaza, right? You wouldn't say that. Are we sure there's not some paperwork we have to fill out? Are you sure? I just don't know. Here's the point. This is your history. Claim it. It is there for you. It is there for you today. The Easter message isn't some thing you just have to go to every year. It's a message that lives out for us today. I'm anticipating objections. It was so much easier for them back then, right? It was an age of non-scientific things. It was an age where they just believed any miracle. Hear me. The Jews had no concept of a resurrection on earth. They, some of them believed in a resurrection that would happen at the end of the age, but no idea that someone would raise from the dead while earth was still happening. Never known someone that was the Messiah in the Son of God. And they never thought it would be a Messiah that would suffer and die a Roman execution and then rise from the dead. They were not expecting this at all. But here's what happens. They then see how the scriptures fulfilled it in this kind of way. They hear the eyewitness testimonies. They see it for themselves. 
and you see that people are changed and transformed and many come to believe the gospel message. I'll keep going, maybe you still object. There's a famous historian named Tom Holland, not the actor. He's from Great Britain, PhD from Oxford. He grew up right in the church. That's what you do, right? He heard these Easter messages. He said, this is just a joke. It just took from Greek culture, took from the Enlightenment. That's why society went well, not because of Jesus Christ. Well, he studied a lot about antiquity and the ancient age and was reading and something started to happen as he's reading about in antiquity. And this is what he said. Caesar is by some accounts slaughtering a million Gauls, that's ancient Germans, enslaving another million in the cause of boosting his political career. And far from feeling in any way embarrassed about this, he's promoting it. And when he holds his triumph, People are going through the streets of Rome, carrying billboards, boasting about how many people he's killed. This is a really terrifying alien world. And the more you look at it, the more you realize that it is built on systemic exploitation. In almost every way, this is a world that is unspeakably cruel to our way of thinking. And this worried me more and more. Enter Paul. And the gospel. It's like a depth charge beneath the Roman Greco world. That started to change the culture. Care for the marginalized. For the other. Care for other nations and cultures. A different view about power and treatment of women. And Tom Holland started to think... Could this resurrection be true? Could it be that the transformer of the world was that Jesus Christ changed people's hearts from the inside out, that he transformed people by the power of the Spirit, by the resurrection, to change a brutal world? That maybe the very air we breathe in our Western world right now, where we say we should care for the least and the lost, that humanity has actual dignity, that we should love our enemies, it didn't come from some vacuum, that it actually came from Jesus Christ who died on the cross, that took our suffering, that took our injustice so that we might be changed. It was a depth charge in the world that turned this world upside down. That's our history. And we can live in it now. Do you? Do you love your enemies? Paul, throughout this time, has been saying, we, we, we. But now he changes to you. Look with me, just one verse. Verse 38. Let it be, this, please listen, this is, if there's any crux verse, if there's anything this all holds to, it's this verse right here. 
Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is, of course, Paul's famous dikaio in Greek. It means to be declared righteous, to be proclaimed. And he's saying because of Christ's death and resurrection, you have been proclaimed, you have been declared free from sin and its punishment, and also free from condemnation under the law. That you have received an inheritance that you do not deserve that came from what Christ has done. It's a lot of religious language there. What does it mean? One of my favorite things to do in the spring is to go to Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee for the NCAA March Madness Tournament. It comes there every few years. Usually I bring friends from church, people that I know, and I buy, you know, we buy like two or four tickets, and I usually buy the cheap seat tickets, right? Really high up in Fiserv, right? Because I can't afford the other ones. But there's a great thing about the first day of the tournament, that there's these empty seats, right, down below. So we sneak down, and we sit in the closer seats to watch the games. Here's the thing, though. You're still looking around, right? Oh, am I sitting in someone's seat, someone to come, right? You're also looking for the ushers that are going to kick you out maybe at any time, right? You're worried that you don't belong in these seats. Well, we've learned a trick over the years. There's multiple games, right? And uh, there's certain sections that... Uh, teams sit in, right? Team parents and fans of those teams. And when their team is done, they usually leave to go see their sons or daughters or go get some to eat. They're not going to watch the next games. So we go to where they were sitting and we sit in their seats. And usually, this is what happened last time with the Badger game. We were like sitting in the second row. And it was a parent of the former teammate. And they said, here, just take our tickets and sit here. Now, I'm used to looking around. Am I sitting in someone's seat? Am I going to get kicked out? And I remember my friend Clint said to me, you have a ticket for right here. But I said, it's not mine. I didn't pay for it. I didn't have a son or daughter that was playing on this team. It's okay. They gave it to you. We have been declared righteous. We are sitting in Christ's seat, receiving all of his benefits of the resurrection. Now some of you might think this message today is for people that have never heard the gospel before. No, it's not. The gospel is for the Christian as much as it is for the non-Christian. Because I'm here to speak to you, Christian, to say this. Many of you are looking around wondering, do I belong here? Do I deserve to be here? 
Do I deserve to see this beautiful game? To live this beautiful life? And here is what Christ is saying. You deserve to be here. You are declared righteous and free from the condemnation of sin and from anything that's trying to justify you in a different way. You belong here in freedom of the resurrection. You know that word justification, it's a very kind of legal word. Many times we just maybe sometimes equate it to Paul and Romans, but I think it's a word that we use a lot in our own lives. What brings my life justification? Is it performing well in school? Meeting the expectations of my parents? Having good kids? Having a good 401k? Having a good vacation? Here, the gospel is saying to you, there's no need to pretend anymore. There's no need to perform. You can live in him, that he is the one that justifies you. We live in an age that we try so hard in self-expressionism to find our true self. What does it mean to find my true self? Do I need to be in this relationship? Or do I need to be this person? Or find this identity? I need to get the most out of it. I need to dig deep to find myself. And then we just run to what's next. The next thing here. What culture is telling me here. We are anxious about it. And here the gospel is saying to us. In him you can find your true self. And truly be free. Some of you are burdened by the message of Christianity, that it's about following the rules, being in the right place at the right time, wearing the right clothes. Don't worry, folks, it's the only time I wear a tie on this Sunday. That many of you have forgot the gospel is not about following rules. It's about reaching platitudes. Instead, it is about being in a relationship with your true love, Jesus Christ, and being united with him. See, God gives us the power in the resurrection to live in freedom. It's been declared to us that we don't need to look all around all the time, do I belong here, that we can sit and enjoy our union with him and enjoy what he has given us. The chief of police of Nashville, an African-American man, was on the news this last week. He's been through a lot with the shooting that happened in Nashville. And he went to the funeral service of nine-year-old Haley Scruggs, who died at Covenant School and went to Covenant Church. And he actually shared his experience at a press conference about being at this funeral. He said it was a man that grew up going to church but had walked away from God but the funeral service had renewed his faith. At the funeral service, the pastor of the church 
Chad Scruggs, the father of Haley, who died, gave the eulogy at the service in front of 3,500 people. And he had hope. People that were there at the service said, people sang so loud at that service, the organ was drowned out. The chief of police noted how classmates of Hallie took flowers to her coffin and on the way there thanked him for the way that they, he served them. And what he noticed that these people weren't angry, they weren't blaming, they weren't taking it out on certain groups. Yes, they were sad, but they had a hope that sustained. And here the chief of police at a press conference said he cried and cried and he wondered how is this possible? And this is what he said. It's possible because there's a resurrection. That's our history. That's what we live in. Amongst what we see in the culture and death and despair and all these things, we can live in hope because it's true. It happened. In a father of a daughter that was shot in his school can bring hope to his congregation because the Spirit lives in him and he's declared free and righteous because of Jesus Christ. This is for you. Paul is putting the question to them. And he's putting the question to you this morning. Did it happen? You want to be part of this history? You want to be part of this great inheritance that is being offered to you? Greater inheritance than $5 billion. A greater inheritance than that make-believe Harry Houdini story. Eternal life, true freedom, being with our Savior and our Creator for all time. You can have it right now.